0: Saying, I have learned my lesson, okay. All that to say, some lessons take us two or three times, right? The lessons I'm talking about are from 45 years, really from my heart to yours. These are the most profound and important lessons that that impact, I'm gonna say, have the greatest impact on our lives. And in my observation of loving people and, and doing life together with people who love Jesus and being called uh, by God to lead and preach and teach, to take this amazing book, God's Word, and to dig into it, to study it, to read it, to look at it in the original languages, both Hebrew and Greek, and to try and understand what each word means so that when I get up here on Sunday, I can get it right, at least the best I can, so that God's Holy Spirit, who lives within you, if you're a believer, and even if you don't know him, I don't know if you realize this, the Holy Spirit is pressing truth on your heart, actually telling you, hey, what Ed is saying is true. That's true. That's true. That that thing you feel in your heart, that conviction is the Holy Spirit. It's not my words. I'm I, the eloquence of a, of a speaker is nothing compared to the power of what the Holy Spirit can do to press on our heart and help us have it affirmed that that is truth. That is truth. That's from God. And so these, these messages in this fall series are all from what I believe to be incredibly important and significant truths that I have observed that impact people's lives and I've got just a handful of opportunities left as most of you all know I have announced a retirement and so I'm trying to to really prioritize and get the most important lessons in front of us and today the the lesson is is really powerful And, and it impacts so much in our life and so many ways we see thing things but God allows and here's the lesson God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves Let me say that just one more time God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves so you first of all let me just kinda sort through this uh... yes there are things that God hates if you and I'm a, I'm a list stat guy I love to read things in lists and seems to be the way I think things through but if you go to the list there are right at forty five things that biblical scholars have found in Scripture that literally spell out, God hates this. I don't know about you. When I read something in Holy Scripture it says God hates this, I take note. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6, there's seven things listed there. But one of the things that I want you to come away with from this as I introduce this and jump into this is... Uh, these things are actions. They're not the people doing the action. John 3.16 says, For God so loved what? The world. That, that's cosmos. The pe- all of the, the people. God loves people more than anything. More than the planet. More than material possessions. And so, when I... Read that there are some things God hates. I have to first of all dissect something, and and really make a distinction and a difference between the person and the action. For example, in, in the list in Proverbs chapter six, the seven things listed there, they are actions like uh, people who who lie, the lying tongue, the action of lying, and and always you will find the things that God hates are things that injure other people. It's really kind of simple. Why does God hate that? Because that action, that thing that someone does causes injury to someone else. And come back to the original thought. God loves people. For God so loved the world. And so there's a really significant dilemma for us to be able to separate the action there's a saying it's it sounds like cliche cliche but it really isn't that we are as believers to learn how to hate the sin the action to hate the sin but love the sinner okay learn that that that'll help you navigate the world we live in because there're going to be people who do things that hurt you and and if you can navigate life here's the lesson by Hating the action, the thing the person does, and still loving them, it will stop you from becoming bitter and angry and consumed with your own level of hate. And so this is a powerful lesson. This is something I've frankly had to learn over a few times in my life that I, I've got to make a distinction between God allows what he hates. Now, coming back to God, and God is sovereign, and God is in control. And last time I spoke to you, I talked about the storms and how, you know, God is in control, even in a storm. This is the next step, really taking the same idea, but, but making it more personal. And, and bringing it to the level where you can person, personally take to heart this idea that when you are injured or someone you know and love is injured by the actions of someone else doing something that God hates okay this will help you walk away from that with a sense of peace knowing that in spite of the fact that I have been injured or someone I know and love has been injured God is still in control and he can make sense out of this, and, and God can and God will do something pretty incredible, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because God allows what he hates so he can accomplish what he loves. Now there's a verse that's very familiar. We're going to read it together. It's Romans 8:28. It's right up there with John 3:16, as far as verses in God's Word that are familiar to us. And and if you've been coming to church any length of time, you have heard me or someone else quote Romans 8, 28. And so I want to read this, and I want to dissect this verse today. I want to slice it up, and I want you to see each word, the importance of it, because if you take this out of context, if you do not rightly interpret this, you're going to walk away with the wrong conclusion. And so I'd like you to read this with me from Romans Chapter 8, verse 28, Uh, it's in your notes, it's on the screen. Would you guys read it with me? Let's put our hearts together, our voices together as one. It's a short verse, and we're going to look at it today. So here it is, Romans 8, 28. Join me. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. (laughs) This scripture can bring incredible comfort, especially if you get it right. It can give you direction. It can give you hope. Uh, It'll help you cope with everyday injustices. It is a wonderful passage, but sadly it is misquoted and misinterpreted on many occasions. This verse is, now stick with me, is a conditional promise it is a promise with a premise I like to say there is a premise a condition that must be met in order for the promise to be valid in other words God gave us a conditional promise are you with me this is not for everyone the the promise is pretty simple God can work through any circumstances to bring about good. What I want to do is spend the next couple minutes talking about the premise, the condition. The promise is clear, but it's not to everyone. It is clearly based on certain very clearly explained conditions. So let's jump right on them today. The first The promise is only for those who love God back. There it is. That's pretty simple. The promise that God will work everything out for the good does not apply to someone who doesn't love God back. Let me be perfectly clear here. If you don't love God back and you mess up or bad things happen to you, conditions are brought into your life through your own messing up or somebody else, you do not have this promise because according to scripture, the promise is only for those who love God back. And I was very careful in how I chose those words because it is a fact God loves you. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. God loves you. The question is, does God It's not whether or not God loves you. The question is, do you love God back? If you do, you've met the first premise for this promise to apply to you. Because the scripture says, things are gonna work out, to those who what? One more time. To those who what? There you go, you got it. So all things will work together for the good. I mean, We've got to be very very careful here with this. You can't take this out of context and say, this is for me, if you don't love God back. And and we we again know, God loves us, for God so loved the world. It's an irrefutable fact. God loves the world. How much did God love us? He sent his only son, Jesus. He died on the cross. How much did Jesus love us? This much, when he laid out his life on the cross. And, and, And so... This verse is a promise for genuine, bona fide believers, people who love God back. Real believers, not posers. I, 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 let, me, let me pour my heart out for just a brief moment here on this, is, this issue of posers. Uh, quick history lesson. How many of you love history? Raise your hand. How many of you hate history? Be honest. That's okay. This is interesting stuff. Those of you that hate history, it's going to be very short. How many of you ever heard of the Puritans in American history? Those dudes that came over in the ships, you know, and went to Boston, Beantown. uh, You know why they called it Beantown? Because the Puritans didn't cook on the Sabbath. So they set the beans in the window to cool down the day. They cooked the day before the Sabbath. And the whole town smelled like beans. Okay? Bean town. Don't don't walk out of here today and say you did not learn something in church, okay? <laughs> the, the the Puritans church structure, the congregational church, okay? Was a vibrant wonderful group of believers who came here devoted to Christ, loved Jesus, Uh, even the idea of Puritans. They were breaking off from the the Episcopalian Church of Britain because it had become cold and, and it had become completely more about tradition than loving God and loving people. And so when they started their churches, these were the real deal. These were authentic believers. They were not posers. But then they had kids, and then their kids had kids. And in just a couple of generations, the the kids of that first generation inherited the churches, the buildings. and, And they became, you know, members of the church. But there was no real inward genuine relationship with Christ they knew the language they knew how to stand up at the right time sit down at the right time they knew how to talk the talk the Jesus talk and and they they went to church and they knew the songs and you know they had a really cool thing they did in those churches they had people walk up and down the aisles because the preachers generally speak an hour and a half two hours they didn't have TV then, okay so they just you know church lasted a really long time and they would walk up and down the aisle they had a big long pole and on one end was a feather and then the other end was like a boxing glove, and if m- women would start to nod off, they'd take the feather and they'd tickle them a little bit and wake them up. If guys started to go to sleep, they'd bonk them in the head. Okay. <laughs> I vote we start that next <laughs> next week. Okay. All that to tell you this: it got so bad, the second, the third, the fourth generation. They began to realize that most of those were not born again they were not converted their life did not reflect that Jesus lived in them and had changed them and had given them new life because anyone in Christ who's a new believer you understand what for me when I became a believer things changed dramatically very quickly okay I I think there's something this is a cautionary thing and this is a part of a lesson If you're a first-generation believer, your parents didn't take you to church. Maybe they did, but it didn't catch. But you have come to Christ as an adult. You know it's very real. It's very authentic. If you're a second or third, and and so this is kind of to those of you being raised in church, you have a great advantage. There's a cool side to it, is you're hearing the truth. But the downside of it is you don't inherit it. You have to decide for yourself. Are you with me? Or, or you can become a poser. You, you, you can become someone who knows the language. It got so bad in the Congregational Church, they actually created a category of membership called halfway members. You did not have to give a testimony of having received Christ as your Savior you were born into it and you were called a halfway member and in that time being a member of a church had a great deal to do with your social standing in the community today not so much okay but at that time it was really important for business for you know your social standing in the neighborhood And so they actually validated people being members by calling them halfway members. You were a member of the club, but you didn't have to give a testimony. To be a member of Connect Church, we do a new members' reception, a new members' class. You need to share. You need to to share that you have, there's been a time in your life when you invited Christ into your life and you asked him to save you. So you all with me here? There is a difference between knowing Christ, being born again, And being a poser. And and so a lot of people over the years in churches that have been around for a while, they're born into, they know the language, but in time you wake up one day and probably a majority of the people are not even authentic Christians. How do you know? (laughs) Their actions. Because if you're in Christ, you're a new creature. You mess up, you feel bad. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is inside of you telling you, hey, you messed up. There is a difference. You have a conscience, a spiritual conscience. So this promise is only for those who love God back. Because that's what scripture says, to those who love God. Now, one more thought under this. When you refuse to love God back, you're stuck with your own mess. You make the mess, God lets you Live in that mess because the mess is intended to move you toward God. Y'all are familiar with the the term an enabler, someone who kind of runs interference for somebody who messes up and makes it possible for them to continue to mess up. God is not an enabler. If you mess up, he's going to let you have the mess because he loves you too much and he wants you. He wants the discomfort of you messing up to move you toward him. Now, a lot of people don't do that. They just keep shaking their fist in God's face, getting angrier and angrier by the moment. But, but when you refuse to love God back, you have to live with those consequences. However, back to the, the, this lesson I have learned, that if you do love God back, you can be confident that all things will work together for the good. So, that's what the verse begins by saying. If we love God back, we're in line to meet the condition in order for him to work things out in our life. Next, the promise is for those who are called by God. The, the, the promise, it's the scripture just continues on, to those who love God and those who are called. Now, the word this is not to get overly academic on you, and I don't quote a lot of Greek words to you, but I have shared with you the word ekklesia, the two words from which we get the English word church means called out assembly. The church is a group of people called out from the world to assemble together, to connect together. Well, this condition is really important because it drills down on the idea loving God back yes but you wanna make sure you've been called out from the world okay to those who love God and are called you see you don't save yourself if you're here today and been born again it's because God initiated his love the action of his love he initiated it and he called you to himself and and this, this is something that is really important to understand God's love and how he works in our life. But you have been called out of the world. That's why you're not supposed to do the dumb things people who don't know Jesus do. And so if you're born again, you've been called out of the world. You're supposed to connect to the church, the people of the church. That's why when Pastor Jay gets up and and talks to us passionately about life groups, he knows He knows that 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 will do more for you to help you spiritually mature and and grow as a believer in Christ because doing life together with others is is absolutely essential for a believer to reach their spiritual maturity. So how how do I know I've been called? Well, there's a number of ways. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. (laughs) When I call them, they follow me. There's another passage that says that we can be known by our fruit. The the scripture talks about how we as believers bear fruit, the fruit of the spirit. I I sometimes quote the the nine fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That fruit will be present in your life. And, And so you can know that you've been called out because when you answer God's call you follow his truth there's there is evidence of that you follow his truth and, and there you have it Jesus called you out you you have a privilege of everyday growing and becoming a little bit more like Jesus and growing in your love and and that defines that that condition qualifies the the promise. So one more thing about this lesson. Let me just kind of wrap it up with this thought. The promise is fulfilled as we accept that God has a purpose for our life. Let me kind of just take that verse and finish it out for you and hopefully it makes so much more sense to you now. To those who love God, got it. To those who are called, got it. What? According to his purpose. You see, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. You're not just some random blob. You know, you you didn't enter this world without purpose. God loves you, and there's a purpose for your existence. And when we trust God, we become a part of his plan to complete his purpose. When we put our faith in him, when we trust him, we're recognizing. Now, when you get those three things right, follow me now. You can go back to that verse where it says, "All things work together for the good." And in other words, you you can go to bed at night and you have the worst day you've ever imagined, and you can you can go to bed saying, "God, I love you, I know you called me, I'm saved, I'm born again." I know there's a purpose for all this. God, I'm going to trust you. I don't see the good. You know, God doesn't say everything is good. Some things are just awful. But he does say they can work together for the good. Now, when we leave here today, uh, this is the third uh, Sunday of the month. It's our tradition. Although we as a church community always got utility bills to pay and responsibilities and obligations we we have said that more important than just meeting those obligations we as a church want to give and be generous because it's true on an individual level we should even if we have needs we should be generous we should be givers and last week I I had the privilege of asking Rick Schusler, our missionary to the Bahamas he joined us last Sunday we put his picture up on the screen and he and Fran, his lovely wife, uh, Rick is right there now, uh, I mean, in it up to his eyeballs, in the Bahamas, providing relief. The building that weathered the storm, quite frankly, in itself, remarkable. But they're using that, together with a number of different groups, in order to help meet people's basic needs. Why? Because as Christians, We need to not only tell people God loves you, but we need to show them God's love. And so last Sunday I announced at the close of the service for our one-at-a-time offering. We're going to designate it to be used for this relief for the Bahamas. I hope you'll be a part of that. But as I was thinking about Rick helping us out and being our partner in this, just dozens and dozens of examples just overwhelmed me as I was thinking about Rick in his life, because Rick and I—I I think I shared with you last week—we became friends our freshman year in uh, undergrad in college. And as you saw, if you didn't know Rick's story, you saw it on the screen. Rick's face had been burnt beyond recognition: uh, no eyes, no eyelids, no ears, nose mostly gone. And and Rick just one of those guys that decided that God could have taken him home but he was still alive so there must be a purpose he actually embraced Romans 8:28. I've been with him so many times when things happened where he just let God use that and and something good came out of it we took over a youth camp uh, we were in our twenties we were both young pastors and uh, we, we had a youth camp. I was very endeared to this camp because it's actually the youth camp where I became a Christian, Camp Chautauqua, down south of Dayton, Ohio. And the camp had fallen into disarray and needed repairs and, and had a good manager and it was starting to come back. So Rick and I said, we'll run the camp and, and we'll, we'll inspire other churches to send their kids there and we'll put on a great camp. We'll, we'll just have a great time and god bless one of the one of the, <laughs> one of the one of the evenings right before a service one of the kids a teenager came into the office where Rick and I were kind of catching our breath and said I need a pass I can't go to the service tonight my counselor says I I need from you guys a pass so I don't have to go and, and Rick just looked at him and said okay well what's going on and the and the you know student just looked at him and said, I can't go, I've had a really flare up with my acne, I I got a huge pimple, I got a really big pimple, and I thought the kid was half kind of kidding, but the kid was not kidding, and so Rick got kind of close to him, to his face, it was getting more awkward by the moment, and he says, help me understand this, he says, you're saying you can't go out in public because you have a pimple, he said, just let me ask you a question, he said, should I ever go out in public, I got a whole lot worse than a pimple, and the kid was just stunned. Kid stopped, stepped back, said, golly, I've never seen it like that before. And then Rick did all the wonderful, loving things you, you do with someone who's struggling. I mean, I'm mean, i not devaluing that this kid felt bad. He had, he had a pimple. But at the end of the day, Rick said, see this? His face had been burnt off. And he said, I, I, are you saying I should never go out in public? And I remember as we talked about that, I said, Rick, how often does that happen? We're, God lets you use that for something good. He said, It happens all the time. It happens all the time. You see, if you'll take what God is allowing to happen in your life, it may be something He hates. He will use it for the good to accomplish His purpose. I called Rick one day. I had a young woman who actually cut my hair for me when I pastored in Florida. And uh, she had gone through a difficult time and a loss and mother of two beautiful kids, but she had actually fallen asleep in bed with a cigarette that caught her bed in fire. Just literally nearly burnt her alive. She was in the hospital, the doctors, I, I went as soon as I heard about it and by the third day they're going we don't know why she's alive I called Rick Rick came down I said Rick help me understand this and and so we went in and I don't know if you've ever seen a burn victim or even seen it on TV they had her arms suspended from the ceiling on elastic kinda like bungee cords and she couldn't talk because her lungs had been burned out Her vocal cords burned out literally white gauze over every inch of her body and I remember saying, Pam, you ask Christ to save you. When you leave this world and the pain, you will be with Jesus. And, and she, they had taught her to spell out words with that suspended elastic bungee. And she wrote no. And, oh, I, I mean, you read it in reverse. And I'm, I'm going, Rick, what did Rick finally pulled me aside. He said, Ed, there's something going on here. You've got to figure it out. You know her but I can't figure it out. This is someone who refuses to die. She needs to let go. We had prayer with her, we talked to her, we encouraged her wherever we could. And I, I went home that night and couldn't stand it and finally went back over that evening. And I asked Pam something. I said I've been thinking about this Pam. I said are you worried about your kids? And she wrote the why. Yes. I said, are you worried that they, are, they were killed in the fire or hurt in the fire? And she did it again. Yes. And I said, Pam, do you believe me? Do you know I would never lie? Another why? I said, Pam, your kids are fine. They're with your parents right now. They didn't have one scratch. They are perfectly fine. The, the fire marshal saved them, pulled them out. They couldn't get to you because the fire started in your room. Your kids are fine. Her body went limp. Passed. Pam passed from this world into heaven in a matter of seconds from finding out that one thing that her kids were okay. You say, why is that a big deal? Her suffering was over. The pain Rick went through gave him insights to what's going on in the mind of someone who's suffering like that. And again, God used his pain for the good. At the funeral service for Pam, there were people who came. What a tragedy. As a young pastor, I shared with people God's love. I didn't try to explain why, but I told them Pam was in heaven, and because of that, people were saved and born again. More good. I don't get it all. You guys, I, I can't explain it. I can't explain life. All that's going on, and all the things that, That happened, the bad things, the evil things. There's things that make me nuts, but I do know this. If you love God, you've been called to Him and are born again. If you're surrendered to His purpose, you can be confident that anything that happens into your life, God can twist it and turn it and bring about good. Now, you either believe that by faith or you don't. It's my hope you believe it today. Would you bow with me for prayer? Lord, if there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, who's never been born again, I pray this would be the day. This would be the day where they surrender their hearts, ask for salvation, are born again. Lord, if there's anybody here today who maybe has gotten bitter or angry because bad things are happening to them, Lord, help them to get a hold of this. Help them to realize that, that because you love them, if you just love them back, if they're willing to accept your purpose, Help them to realize, God, you can take whatever it is going on and turn it out for the good. Help us to believe that, to hold it deeply, help it to encourage us. We'll thank you. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.